We're going to move forward in Acts. Actually, we're kind of standing still in Acts at the moment. Because what I tried to do last week is I had, you know, four points of, um, of a successful church because we hadn't been together for a while. And I was just going to kind of give you a refresher course. And my refresher course ended up being one-fourth of the course. And so um, this is round two of what a, uh, a successful church, according to the first, uh, the first church's example, will look like. And so go, go to Acts chapter 5. That's where we're going to focus tonight. In Acts chapter 5, last week we saw that a successful church will be a pure church. That a pure church deals with sin. A pure church deals with sin in such a way that those who wish to become a part of it know what they're getting into that they know that they will have to be held accountable, that their sin will not go unnoticed, that somebody somewhere in that church is going to be so involved in their life on a discipleship level that, that they're not going to be able to, to, to slip by without a, a change happening if they truly have believed in Christ. And now, I want to tell you as a pastor... I cannot disciple all of you. Frankly, it's not my job to disciple all of you. And so a pure church would have been set up in such a way to where there would have been people intentionally taking the hand of younger believers and newer believers and they would have been walking alongside of them in, in small groups and clusters of people because it just makes sense that Peter and the apostles, they couldn't have discipled the entire hundreds of thousands of people who were believers by now. But, then, but, but Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so to fulfill that role of going, or that, that mission of going and make disciples, the apostles had to disciple someone. They just weren't able to disciple everyone. And so we have a, a responsibility, an obligation to be discipled so that we can disciple. So that we can show people what this life is about. So that we can stand confident in the Word because we've learned the Word. And so a, a pure church is a successful church. But I also want to tell you that a successful church has power. Power. We've talked about this over and over and over again. Acts 1.8 It is a promise straight from the mouth of God that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and that you will be His witnesses all over the place. Starting at home and moving outward all over the place. For us, starting at Project Acts then going to Iowa or the Navajos, or McKee, then going to Guatemala, and then everywhere else you can get your, your feet in. But it starts here at home. It starts in your own city. It starts in your own neighborhoods. That's where that mission of being His witnesses starts. It starts where you are because that's where you have the greatest opportunity. And, and a lot of times... Kind of like the illustration Brother Ronnie gave is, why didn't you call the guy? Because I didn't know what I would say. And he said that's not a good excuse because whenever we see an opportunity to witness, whenever we have an opportunity to share our faith, 
Those who are led by the Spirit of God will know that whenever that time comes, they shouldn't worry about what they should say because it's not you that speaks, but the Spirit of God who speaks in you and through you and gives you the utterance that you need to communicate what it is that that person needs to hear. But so many of us are so under practice. We, we don't practice sharing our faith. And guys, I want to tell you, it's not something magical that just happens. It's not something magical that whenever someone has a, has, has a need and you see that need and, 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 and you just kind of switch on something in your, in your brain and all of a sudden you, you are just this wonderful speaker and encourager. You have to practice. It's discipline. It's discipleship. It's a discipline that you have to practice and you have to work at and you have to give yourself an opportunity to grow in it. But see, you don't have to do that on your own power because the Holy Spirit will give you that power. Look at Acts 5, 15, and 16. This is, what, this is what it says about the power. It says, as a result... Well, as a result of what? It could, have been, it could have said, therefore. But it says, as a result. As a result of what? Well, it was as a result of the preaching of the Word of God by the apostles, the miraculous healing of the apostles, the, the Holy Spirit coming down and judging sin in the church, the purity of the church, as a result of the church doing what it was supposed to be doing, as a result, they, they being new, new believers, they being unbelievers, they being anyone who had gotten wind of this movement called the church or called Christians or whatever they were being called at that time, as a result, they would carry the sick out into the street and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a large group came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They saw such a power in this church. They saw such a power in the apostles that they thought that maybe if I just have his shadow touch me, I'll be healed. Now that's a, you know, that, that, that's, that's a, a myth that was common in that era of time. It doesn't say anywhere that his shadow healed anyone. That, I don't want you to think that there are some guys that walk around and they're so full of the Holy Spirit that if you just can get into their shadow, maybe you'll get, you know, an extra dose of something. I don't, I don't believe that, but what I believe is that they, they interpreted this thing that was happening in, in their city. And they saw that people were saved, and they saw that people were healed, and they saw that demons were cast out, and, and they saw that lives were being changed, and they saw that the system was being bucked, and they saw that whenever persecution came by, they weren't whining, they weren't complaining, they just came back and prayed for more boldness and kept doing what it was that they always did, and that was proclaim Jesus as the Lord, and, and, and met the needs of the people that God put in front of them. And they did it in power. And so what we see here is that, is that the world around them notices the church. We see just a few verses before, believers were added, oh, I'm sorry, 
In verse 13, none of the rest dare to join them, but the people praised them highly. See, the reason that the church is not praised highly is because we're so divided. The reason that the church is not praised highly is because we have, we have pushed off the power that we have to do wonderful, mighty works for the Lord. And we have become so self-consumed and, and, and self-serving that the world doesn't see that we're good for anything. Now, not every church and not every believer falls into that category. But, but you tell me this, whenever you have a broken arm... Something's wrong with you. Something's hurting. Do you think about your other arm that isn't broken and how good it feels? Or do you think about how bad the broken arm feels? Well, we think about how bad the broken arm feels. When, when, when the world looks at the church, unfortunately, they look at what's broken and not what's working. And so we should, we should work through the power of the Holy Spirit to do all that we can to fix what's broken in us, to fix our, our anger, to fix our, our divisions, to fix our selfishness, to give all of those things over to God and say, God, I don't want anything getting in the way of the power that you want me to live in. I don't want anything watering me down. And I don't want to be what waters my church down. I don't want to be part of the problems in my church, but I want to, I want to increase the good stuff. I want to minimize the bad stuff so that we can go out and do what the church has been called to do and that is simply and only to make disciples and to be His witnesses. That's it. But we become so involved in so many other things that we lose the ability to do what we've been called to do in the power that we've been given. Like I just said, we don't happen to experience the miraculous healings and wonders in the same ways the apostles did, but let me tell you, God still uses power in miraculous and wonderful ways. My, my almost four-year-old gets this on the level that a four-year-old can get it. Leslie was laying in bed with him one night and and she was putting him to bed and they had done their prayers. And, and tomorrow is professional day at school. And so she was asking him, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do for work? And he said, Batman. Because that's his go-to answer anytime any question is asked around our house. A lot of times it involves Batman. And so he said, Batman. And, and mommy said, oh really? And I think she gave him a little bit of time and then she asked him again. And, and then to her surprise, he said, Flash. It wasn't Batman this time. He wanted to be the Flash. And so then she was like, well, how about, how about what Brother Curtis does at the church when he stands on the stage and he leads the people in worship and he sings to God and he gives praise to God? And Jamin said, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. And then he said, and I want to do what Daddy does. I want to preach. You know, it makes me proud, and I know that people, you know, you guys who are listening, you're probably like, oh, he's just four. He just, you know, he doesn't really understand. And he may not, but then he says something, and he was like, he said something about how Daddy does the thing with the water. And I don't know the exact words that he said, but he said, Daddy does something with the water, the thing with the water. And Les is like, what does he do with the water? He says, he puts the heads in. He does the people, and he puts the heads in. 
Unless it's like, oh yeah, well what do you what do you know about that? I don't, you know, I wasn't there. She's communicating, but she's kind of prizing a little bit more. And, and then he says, he says, yeah, Daddy puts the heads in and brings them back up, and it's a miracle. And Jesus does miracles too. And I'm telling you, I was like, yeah, you know, like my son at four years old equates. He he relates what I'm doing with what Jesus does. That's how the world should see us. They should see what we're doing. And they should be able to see the pure, loving, just Jesus. And they should see Him in what we're doing. They should be able to say, that's those Jesus people. Not, that's those hypocrites. That's those self-righteous, Bible-thumping, teetotaling, know-it-alls. They should just simply look at what we're doing and say, that's those people who follow Jesus. That's those people who meet the needs that are put before them and praise and worship their God. And you know what? I know that if I was to go over there and be a part of that, I'd be found out quicker than anything. And so I'm, I'm just not ready. And it's okay when they're not ready, but I'm just not ready to, to really give Everything that I have. And so I, I, I can't dare join that until I know that I'm ready. Because there is something about joining a church that means that one, you are in covenant relationship with each other, but you have not just made a decision to be a church member, you have made a commitment to follow Christ. And, and when you make a commitment to follow Christ and you call on the name of the Lord to be saved and you confess and you repent of your sins and you start to live for Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, other people will look at you and, and, and they'll know that you're one of those Jesus people. And it's not because of your own abilities. It's not because of your talents and your gifts. It's because you are so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that you just, as, as the Apostle said, we just can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. We just can't stop doing what God has told us to do. Guys, it's a miracle we want to talk about power of the Holy Spirit and miracles. It's a miracle that anybody recovers from addiction. That's a miracle. Absolute miracle. That anybody recovers from 20, 30 years of, of drug use, alcohol use. You guys don't get that because hopefully none of you have experienced, but I'm telling you, it is a miracle that anyone can be that low and that, that unhealthy and that sick and that depressed and that depraved and that warped and to come out on the other side of it and be able to function for the rest of their life. It's a miracle. It's a miracle when a marriage is saved from the edge of ruin. It's a miracle that God can take two naturally born selfish people and bring them together in the first place and make it work. That's a miracle. Okay? 
What's even more of a miracle is when God can take two people who were already naturally selfish individuals and had lived in conflict with one another for long enough to where they're saying, it doesn't matter what we told God. It doesn't matter what we told our parents. It doesn't matter what we told each other. We're done. And somehow God can get in that relationship and He can bring that back together and make it beautiful. I know it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. And when it does happen, it's a miracle. Because you're, you're, you're literally seeing the changing of someone's heart away from themselves and to God and to another person in a way to where they say, you know what, it's not, it's not about me being happy right now, it's about me being holy. That's a miracle. It's a miracle when God takes a cold, dead heart like mine and makes it alive and new through the salvation of the Lord. When you think about it, when you really reckon with your reality that you were a sinner, that that doesn't just mean that you did a few bad things, it meant that you were something bad. You were born a sinner. You were, you were conceived in iniquity. That your best efforts to be good are like presenting filthy rags to a holy God. It's a miracle that that holy God would bring anyone to salvation. It's a miracle that that holy God would step out of heaven and like Philippians chapter 2 says, being God, He was God, He, he was in heaven, He needed for, for nothing, He was perfectly happy who He was and where He was, but He stepped down into heaven and being God, He decided not to appear as God on this earth, but He took on the form of a baby. It is a miracle that the God who created the heavens and the stars had to learn how to eat, had to, had to learn how to speak. The God who literally spoke everything out of nothing had to learn language and how to speak. The God who, who was at one time in heaven completely sufficient, completely needed nothing from anyone, has to learn how to walk and he needs someone to teach him. Needs someone to wipe his rear end. Needs someone to hold him. The great comforter of humanity, the one who heals the broken heart, fell and scraped his knee, and he had to have his mama pick him up and pat him on the back and tell him it's going to be okay. The father of the universe had to, had, had to be approved and affirmed by Joseph in the workshop and showed how to do things. It's a miracle that that God became that man on this earth and lived a perfect life. The one that we couldn't live. And then, here, here's, here's something that blows my mind every day. And this is why we, we participate in the Lord's Supper. Because guys, we can't forget this. We cannot, cannot forget this. This is more than, than just something that we come and do. Guys, if you don't get this, please beg God to open your hearts and open your minds and take the scales off of your eyes so that you can see the light of your reality that Jesus, the, the God-made man, died on a cross. 
Not to show you how much he loved you. Not, not to show you, show you how special you are. But to show you how lost you were. He did it out of love, yes. But, but he, he did it to show you that, that you were lost and you need a Savior. And because He loves you and, and he, he wants to have relationship and intimacy with you. He died on a cross, and when He was on that cross, He didn't just suffer physically. He didn't just suffer psychologically. He didn't just suffer emotionally. Literally what happened was while He was on the cross, the reason He says, Father, why have You forsaken Me? is because the whole of humanity's sins, everyone's, the sins overlooked from the past, the sins not yet committed in the future, and the sins of the criminals on either side, the sins of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who plotted against them, Judas Iscariot's sins, Pilate's sins, Caiaphas, all of their sins were placed upon Him. And while He was on that cross, He not only experienced extreme human physical torment, but God took on the sins of the world and Jesus experienced God's full wrath. Full wrath on a, on a level that we don't understand. So that when you put your faith, when you walk into the miracle of salvation, and you say, God, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe He died on a cross for me. I believe He rose three days later. I believe that you desire to have a relationship with me. I commit my life to not just being a church member, not just being a Baptist, not just being a good person. I commit my life to following Jesus Christ as the Holy Bible uh, prescribes for me to follow Him. I will be faithful. I will be devoted. I will do whatever you want me to do. My life is yours. Show me what to do, God. And the exchange is your sin is removed. All of it. Even the future stuff. And His righteousness is put on. That is a miracle. I got carried away and I misspoke. I said He didn't do it because He loved you. What I meant was He didn't do it so that you could feel real special about yourself. He did it because, because He did love you. He did it not so that you could see how great and, and important you are, but so that you could see how extreme your sin is. And how much and how special He was to do that for you. So please forgive me for getting carried away and saying something that I shouldn't have said. So the, re the reality is, and I'm, I'm closing up here, that this whole thing is a miracle. We're here. It's a miracle. The fact that Christianity started with 120 people over 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem their master was killed. And then he rose three days later. Okay? He appeared to many, many people over uh, 40 days or so. Then he goes back up into heaven. 
the first, the, the apostles, um, most of them are killed. But in the meantime, they're arrested, they're whipped, they're beaten, they're arrested, they're whipped, they're beaten, they're arrested, they're whipped, they're beaten. They won't stop talking about it. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Within a matter of chapters in the book of Acts, we've gone from 120 to believer, believers to tens and tens of thousands of followers of Jesus Christ. And then you have certain gods like Nero and, 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 and other, other Roman emperors, emperors who wanted to squash Christianity and wanted to, to snuff it out, who would make believers into, into luminaries in his gardens, meaning that he would stick them on wooden stakes and burn them alive. And then walk with his guests through the gardens where they're screaming in agony. Like, the church just exploded. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that, that everywhere persecution has ramped up. It's been a blessing for the kingdom. Everywhere people have had to choose between their lives or their faith. And they've chosen their faith. The gospel is spread like wildfire. So this whole thing, the reason we're here today, we are here because the Holy Spirit is full of power. And He gives people power. And God's, God is a God of power. And, and, and this church is a church of power. And I'm not just talking about Meridian Baptist Church. I'm talking about the men and women that we are a part of their legacy. Men and women who gave their lives to bring the gospel to where we're standing and sitting today. That in itself is a miracle. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, none of it would have ever been possible. And you and I would be sitting and standing in darkness spiritually, completely unable to do anything about our condition had the Holy Spirit not brought power to the apostles to set forth the chain reaction that has, that has met us here today and will continue to reverberate out into the history, into future, and impact so many more people. Because He's not done with His mission. The church is not done with their mission. And so, I want to conclude, basically... By saying that a successful church is a church that operates in the power of God. A good pastor will operate on the power of God. An effective Christian, one who fulfills the Great Commission, one who fulfills Acts 1.8, is one that knows that they don't have it in them unless the Holy Spirit is leading them and driving them to do what it is that they've been called to do. Let's pray.